Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Praise God. We good? So, we are taking our first installment in our new series, um, a sure assurance, and um, I'm particularly encouraged and particularly um, glad to be embarking on this series and very much expecting the Lord to really um, do a work among us. Um, I mentioned last time in the trailer that John's intent is to assure the true and assault the false. Now, I come from South London, and I grew up in South London, and that basically means I don't pronounce my L's and my T's very well. (laughs) So when I say assault, (laughs) I'm actually trying to say assault. (laughs) But you see how much effort that I have to put in to actually try and articulate that word. So assure the true and the sort, the false, the false, you know, the false. L's gone again. What can I say? The false. Wow, it's hard work, man. Those are who are truly in fellowship with the Father and the Son are assured through the contents of this letter, whilst those who have a false sense of assurance, who are relying on some other means for their confidence before God, they are being absolutely challenged to the core in this letter. And I think for us, it's particularly significant because on a level, as a pastor, one of our responsibilities is to to watch over the sheep. And in doing so, I appreciate that this is going to be very key for some of us because I've observed quite clearly that for some of us, you have a lack of conviction in what you believe. Now, when I say a lack of conviction, I don't just mean, you know, okay, well, you don't know what you believe. You're not quite sure what the Bible teaches or what the gospel's about. But actually, a lack of conviction in that, there's an an uncertainty, an uncertainty as to whether you truly believe. For some... You have a lack of confidence in what you believe. So you believe it, but there seems to be a sense of how much can I really lean on this? How much can I really rely on this? Therefore, exhibiting a lack of confidence. What happens in that situation? When you lack confidence in that which you're supposed to be leaning on, you then seek something else to lean on either in place of or alongside. But it's supposed to be Jesus alone. For some, it may be neither of those things, but you have a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment. So you believe the truth and you believe the gospel, but in terms of your personal submission and surrender to it, there is a real hesitation. Now, this isn't just a kind of generic example. 
I'm saying that this is what I see among us. A lack of commitment. And in that situation, what tends to happen is an individual will tend to believe in themselves more than they do the Lord because they're more committed to themselves than they are to Jesus. And in any of these situations, one of the ways in which this becomes evident is just a lack of purposefulness and a lack of direction and a lack of um, strength in your walk. And so, this being the case, I'm encouraged because the Lord through the book of 1 John will address and help in these areas. The Lord's aim is not to catch people out. Even in assault in the force, the aim is not to prove them wrong, but it's, to, it's, it's not to cast them off to put them down, but to bring them in. And just like someone who goes to Alco Alcoholics Anonymous or any of the 12-step programs, the first step is acknowledging your issue. And this is what John endeavors to do for those individuals. Recognize where you're at. In order that right steps might be taken. And so we're looking at 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read and then we're going to pray as we consider Jesus a sure Savior. 1 John chapter 1 from the ESV. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you are the king of glory, the 
King of kings and Lord of lords. We esteem you high above all else. There is none like you, there is none beside you, none on your level or in your category. You are unique, you are exceptional, and we praise you today. Our prayer today, Lord, is that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that, Lord, you would reveal yourself to us, that you would reveal ourselves to us, and that, Lord, you would cause us to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. In this chapter, we see three things. Verses one to four, the certainty of the Savior. In verse five, the substance of the Savior. And in verses six to 10, the fellowship of the Savior. Now, I'm gonna endeavor to try and get through all three. I may not. (laughs) I'll just let you know from now. And um, if I don't, we just pick up next time. So, the certainty of the Savior. Last week, I went to lengths to kind of talk about assurance and um, just what assurance is and what it means to us as individuals. And I also endeavored to try and paint the picture of um, the, 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 the situation at the time of John's writing and the seeds of the Gnostic um, philosophy that was prominent and rising and becoming more so in that time. And so as we enter into chapter one, we have that in mind and consider the fact that John is communicating very clearly that Jesus is the certain savior through whom we have fellowship with God. There are a few key words that I want to highlight before we look at these first few verses. Words for us to look out and listen out for the unpacking of them as we go through. The first one is word, as we see it in verse one, the word of life, word. The second key word is life. These are key words, not just saying that because I want to try and keep you alert, but they're key words. Fellowship is also another key word, and likewise, light. In verse 1, we see that life comes from God to us through his word. John opens the letter in a similar fashion to the way that he opened his gospel. Often you hear people say, look, I want to tell you something and I don't even really know where to start. And our response often is, at the beginning, standard, right? (laughs) And it's as if John preempts that. He's got something to tell us and each time he steps up to the plate to communicate to us, he's like, look, let me start at the beginning. But when John says the beginning, he doesn't mean the beginning of his experience. He doesn't mean the beginning of time. He means the beginning of beginnings, which is in some ways undefinable. And so in John 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, we see him say, in the beginning was the Word. Now he's talking about eternity past. 
He's talking in the same way that Genesis 1-1 speaks. In the beginning, God. A beginning before anything existed. Now, I'd encourage you, don't try and figure that out too hard because it will hurt your head. We, we, we just, we're finite. We are made in space and time. How can we understand what that means? We say eternity passed, but eternity has no past. You're not ready for that one. <laughs> so John's saying, that which was from the beginning, that realm that is beyond our comprehension, but was definitely before us, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, real, tangible, time and space, location, physicality, senses, concerning the word of life. John uses the term word here as in his gospel, and for some of us who have maybe been around for a while, you may already have an insight as to what the Greek word is for that. The Greek word for that is logos, which means the, the revealed mind of God. Um, different to another word that's used, which is rhema, which is the spoken word of God. So this is the revelation of God, the revelation of himself communicated, logos. And John, it seems, uses the word very intentionally because in those days, and particularly within the, um, the, the environment of Gnostics, they had use of that word, but they used it in a, a, a few different ways. And they used it in relation to God, but the way in which they used it was to, to, to try and communicate the sense of this. Um, let me try and take my time. So they believed that God existed somewhere out there in the distant spiritual realm. And existing way out there, he is actually far removed from this world because this world is material and it's sinful. But the way in which God communicates with this world is through emanations of himself. So he would, it's like um, puffing smoke from a cigarette. You have a cigarette and it's got smoke coming out of it and then someone puffs smoke and it's like an emanation and it floats out. And so for these different emanations, they would use the term logos and then kind of have different categories of emanations. John is clarifying, look, Jesus is not merely an emanation, something that is sent out from God but is apart from God. Jesus is God. So when he uses the word here, word, he's using it intentionally and it's packed with meaning. We can just kind of read over it, think it's some kind of form of communication. And, 
But this is speaking about Jesus being the Word. Because you notice, in these first two verses, as he's declaring his statement, he hasn't even mentioned Jesus. It's actually only at the end of verse 3, and it's not even in direct relation to his statement. Because this is his statement concerning the word of life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John's gospel already existed as he wrote this letter. He didn't feel the need to explain himself again. It's already been written, noted, and distributed. So here he speaks concerning the word of life. And that word life, our second key word, is zoe. And it means not only the essential essence of life, so living things possess life, but it's more than just the essential essence of life, but it is the abundance of all that God intends for life. Jesus said that you shall have life and life more abundantly, life to the fullest in relation to God's intention. And so John is saying, we have been in the presence of him who is God, the communication of the life of God to us. Now, some of you may have um, heard about a guy, I think he's from Australia, and he seemed seemingly kind of doing some tour, and he was on um, CNN news channel, and I heard him a couple months ago over here on um, LBC talking about the fact that he is Jesus. Jesus, literally, he is Jesus reincarnated, the second coming. I couldn't even quite get his angle, but he was basically saying he is Jesus. Not like Jesus or a representative of Jesus, but that he is Jesus. And furthermore, that his wife is Mary. <laughs> you just have to Google that. It's, it's all over the internet. Now, it seemed evident to me that as Mike Ferrari on LBC was interviewing him, he never had no sense of being in the presence of the divine. <laughs> and you know them interviewers, they can be like hardcore, they can really go in and try and bend you up and twist you up. Mike Ferrari wasn't intimidated in any way whatsoever. He just went for the juggler, as he does. He never had any sense of being in the presence of the divine. And as a listener, I didn't have any sense of the fact that I was listening to someone who was divine. John, the apostle, and those others, apostles, they were absolutely certain. We see that the life was made manifest. The life was made manifest. Now, the word manifest basically means to reveal that which already was. 
wow, that's new. <laughs> and it's fast as well. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> if you hear it strike four while I'm still preaching, you know we're in trouble with it. <laughs> Manifest. That which already was, now revealed. And so the life existed before life, as we know it, existed and was revealed in the person of Christ. Now, I pause there for a moment. As we're considering the gospel as individuals and as we're endeavoring to kind of communicate the gospel to other people, very often we may kind of give consideration to the issue of evidence. Some people call it apologetics. And think, you know, why do I actually believe what I believe? Somebody may ask, why should I believe the Bible? Why should I believe in Jesus? And so we, we, we may want to turn to the multitude of evidence. We take them to the Gospels. The biographies of Jesus inspired by God. Written by four different writers. Unlike other biographies of their era, they were written within a very short space of time after the death and resurrection of Christ. And so there is, there is so much evidence that is able to conv convince a person concerning Christ, a real person in a real place called Israel who lived a real life and the testimony, the record, what... The, the, the accounts history shows exists for us to examine. And we see that he lived a sinless life. Even the Romans turned around and said, I can't find any fault with this man, Pontius Pilate. I wash my hands of this situation. He saw that he was flawless, he was faultless. We recognize that as prophesied, he was killed for the sins of the world. There's no mistake that Jesus died. Even those of other religions will admit that part. And yet we also see the evidence of those who testify to his resurrection that Jesus not only died and was dead for three days, but then was raised from the dead. manifesting the life of God in its entirety. There's evidence for that. And John is restating the evidence. And when you think about it, you see the apostles who declared, and when he uses the term we and us and our hands, he's talking about he and the other apostles who were commissioned as special sent messengers. As he does so, we can consider their testimony. We can consider the fact that they were killed for holding to their story. Which person would knowingly die for a lie? It's not the done thing. We see that there is so much evidence. And yet, 
The reality is that evidence, most often than not, is not enough, right? So we sit down and we take people through the Gospels and we tell them about the integrity of the Gospels and that they're trustworthy and they're historic and they are verified and so on and so on and so forth. And people still choose not to believe. There's a simple reason for that. The word of life needs to be made manifest to them. There needs to be a revelation within the heart. And I've been challenged recently because often our approach to trying, um, our approach to trying to um, reach out to others is often based on a reliance on our ability to state our case. It's based on our ability to know arguments and be able to communicate effectively and to the point where often we don't try and go and engage in evangelism because we're like, I don't really know what to say. But it's not based on our ability. It's not based on our... Those things help, but it's not based on that. It's based on a work of the Spirit opening the eyes of our hearts. And I've been challenged. You know what? I might be limited in my capacity to, to reach people and to evangelize, but the Holy Spirit's not. And I need to be praying, praying that the Lord would open the eyes of people's hearts. This is what we need to be doing. Because when the Lord has opened the eyes of a person's heart, you know what? You could, you could sneeze. And they, they say, God bless you. And two twos, they're under conviction. And they're asking you, what must I do to be saved? And you're thinking, but when the Lord is at work, we recognize that it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, can I encourage us? Let us be people who pray that the Lord would work in the hearts and lives of people. Family, friends, colleagues, associates, let us be praying, the community, the government. The, let us be praying because God's arms are not too short that he can't deliver. May there be a revelation of the Spirit within the hearts and lives of people to the truth of Jesus. That they too may embrace eternal life. Another thing we see is that this life is eternal. It's an eternal life. So this life is not just a, a, a quantity, it's not just a duration, it's not just I'm going to live forever, but it is eternal in its quality. If something is eternal, it can't die. If something is eternal, it can't go bad, it don't go off. Imagine going to Asda and buying eternal bread. Bread that can't finish, can't spoil. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is that eternal bread. And this life in Christ 
is an eternal life. This life was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This life is actually a person. Because Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, the life isn't just in Christ, but Christ is the life. He is the personification embodied in him is all the life that we're looking for. Is all the life that God intended. Eternal. With the Father made manifest to us. And so the apostles who could not withhold what they had seen and what they had heard. Remember in Acts, was it um, Acts 4? Peter and John had been at Gate Beautiful and they had healed the man who was sick and he'd been out there for years, 40 years I think the scripture says. And he was lame and he jumped up and he started leaping and jumping and praising the Lord and there was, a, there was commotion in the city to the point where the rulers came and it was like, these guys are stirring up a madness, to paraphrase. Let's grab them. So they did. And they were trying to work out, how can we stop these guys from declaring Jesus? These are the religious rulers, you know. But they weren't embracing Jesus. How can we stop them threatening our cause, diverting people from our camp and declaring Jesus? And so they said, all right, look, basically we're going to make a deal with you. We're going to let you go. But on the basis that you do not preach or declare or do anything in the name of this Jesus. So Peter turns around and says, look, you tell me if I ought to obey you or to obey God, which is right. I cannot withhold what I have seen and heard. And this was the testimony of the apostles. They declared this unto death. It cost them their lives. Do you have such confidence in the gospel that you're willing to, quote-unquote, bet your life on it? They played their hand. Peter played his. What was going to happen next? Were they going to kill him? He said he's not going to obey them. He faced death right there. In the face. How about you? Do you have such confidence in the gospel that you're willing to stake your life on it? Does, the, does even the thought of losing your life for the gospel seem like a waste? Like, Lord, I've got so much living to do. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I'm, I want to be able to experience travel around the world. Like, 
But seriously, some of us, we feel like that, right? There are times when there are other goals in life that seem more glorious than the gospel. Verse 3, we see that the end to which this declaration is being made is that we would have, that we would share in fellowship with the apostles. That we would share in that same fellowship. That doesn't just mean that we would be a people who, like them, would be willing to lay down our lives for the gospel. Fellowship, key word. Fellowship states relationship, but it's more than relationship. You know you can have a relationship with someone, but it's really no relationship whatsoever. And so it communicates more than relationship. It communicates a mutual sharing, an actual interacting a sharing which is personal, but is also beyond that. It's a sharing in identity. I relate to, I identify with this person. It's a sharing in values. I share the same values and beliefs as this person. It's a sharing in life, an, ex an exchange of life, one with another. Sometimes I feel like we minimize fellowship or otherwise we misunderstand fellowship. So we're going to link up, get together, share some snacks, chill out, maybe play a little mafia. And that's fellowship. Now, I'm not saying that it's not fellowship, but I am saying that fellowship is more than that. It is fellowship, because the reality is that you could do that with your unsafe friends. Some of you, you go college and that's all you do. You don't even go lessons. <laughs> Sit down in the canteen, link up, share some snacks, play blackjack. Yes. Some of you get flashbacks, right? <laughs> play blackjack. But you wouldn't call that fellowship. Why? Because there's something else about your relationship with those individuals that's missing. So fellowship is the sharing of life in that way, but let's not neglect to appreciate that it's based on more than that. It's because above our mutual experience, we have a mutual identity in Christ with mutual values, Jesus being Lord, that undergird and are the foundation of our mutual sharing of life. Amen? And so John's saying, look, you with us will share fellowship. We with you, we will, we're, we're extending this word to you that our relationship with you might be Linked, joined, knitted in fellowship, one with another. Fellowship with the apostles. And yet it doesn't stop there. Because it's clear the apostles were in fellowship with the Father and the Son. To think. 
that we can have fellowship with God. That we can share an exchange of life with God. God in us and us in him. You know, God actually desires your fellowship. How often do we think about that? How often do you think about the fact that God actually desires your fellowship? He desires an exchange of life, an exchange of life with you. Not just pouring life into you as God does, but actually seeing some kind of response to that that comes from our hearts. Sometimes we fellowship with the Lord in the the reading of his word and just opening our hearts to be rocked by him as he speaks to us by his spirit. Sometimes we fellowship in in the singing of praise, even to ourselves, because we think we can't sing. And yet the Lord delights in that. Sometimes we express fellowship with with the Lord by way of acts of obedience. you, Lord, motivating my heart to just go and bless that person with this money or whatever the obedience might be. Lord, I don't really want to go and serve in children's church this week, to be honest, but you know what? Because I love you, Jesus, it's not about me. I do this as unto you. Sharing in fellowship with the Lord. And so we see, in regards to assurance, Jesus is a certain savior, a real person. And I keep saying this, you know, I was out in Brixton one night with the guys, and, ah, you're preaching Jesus. He's just a mythical mythical guy. He never even existed. I was flabbergasted. I'm like, what do you mean he never even existed? Am I even supposed to dignify that with a response? Move on and don't waste my time. <laughs> That's how I felt. And actually, I said that to one person one week. I said, I said, are you actually seriously wanting to talk about this or are you just out here to have a laugh? Because there's other people that I'm sure will be more interested. Jesus said, don't cast your pearl before swine. All right, then. <laughs> he said, Jesus... Th- I need, no, but he was serious, this particular guy. And so I just said, look... Let's, let's put the Bible aside a minute. There are historians who had no allegiance to Jesus who wrote of his personage. How can you say he never existed? What do you believe about history? How do you know what you know about history? How do you even know it's true? He said, come on, man. He smiled. So, Jesus is a real person. And the assurance of our fellowship with God is based on Jesus. The assurance of our fellowship with God is based on Jesus. Now, that's a headline. John opens the letter with that. Keep that in mind because there's no other basis for assurance other than Jesus Christ. No other basis for assurance. Jesus is the revealer of God and the rescuer of men. And this gets unpacked somewhat as we move through the text. 
that is the basis of our assurance. Jesus, who is very God, the word of life, life communicated to us. When I think of word, the term word, I always think of communication. And you want to consider this. Jesus, the eternal word, is the eternal communication of God. God in himself has life. That life has to reach us. The means through which his life reaches us is through the word who is one with himself, the channel, the means through which life is expressed, communicated to us. Okay. Now, there's a sweetener at the end of this thought. John says in verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. Now, there's two ways of understanding this. In the primary sense, it's speaking of John and the apostles and their joy being complete. Remember Jesus said in John 16 to them, up to now you've not asked anything of the Father, but anything that you ask of the Father in my name, he will do it unto you, that your joy may be full. Now, some people take a statement like that and they're thinking, whoo, Merck, holidays to Dubai. Lord, I've got a lot of things I want to talk to you about, you know, because... The apostles are thinking souls, salvation. They're thinking, strengthen me unto death. (laughs) Very different picture, right? (laughs) But it is in that that they found joy. And for us to join in their fellowship, for the readers of John's original letter to join in the fellowship would cause their joy to be complete, to be filled up. What joy there is to see someone soundly saved. What joy there is. We have a baptism and we see the testimonies of those who are submitting their lives to Christ. And it doesn't matter how humble, it doesn't matter what the surroundings, the place is just filled with, with, with emotion. With, it's, it's filled because it's such a joy. This is the joy of Jesus. And so not only would the apostles' joy be filled, complete, but us also regarded in that hour. As we share in that fellowship, in that mindset, with those values, that share and exchange of life, we too also experience a joy that is filled up. Amen? If you're lacking joy in your Christian walk, Maybe it's because you're looking for it in the wrong place. That was bonus material. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. So we've heard of the certainty of the Savior, now we consider the substance of the Savior. This statement is such a simple and yet so profound statement that John is. It is a statement concerning the nature of God. You want to know what God is like? You think, hmm, I wonder what God, what is God like though? You, 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 you see a situation, you're like, hmm, I wonder what God thinks about that. Hmm, I wonder how God is at work in that. This is a fundamental statement that you can always go back to and rely on because it doesn't just speak of something that God does or even an attribute that he possesses. It's speaking of his very nature. God is light. John makes a second one later on in, in, the, in the letter. God is, and it's one that we are very familiar with, and people say it all the time, although they don't really know what they're saying half the time. God is love. Love isn't just something that God does. It's his nature. I don't know how to, to explain that in a way that's going to make you feel like I feel, but this is the nature of God that we're talking about. It's not just something that he does. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor P. You give me license. <laughs> it's not just something that God does. It's not just a mode that he goes into at certain times when he's in that mood. It's his very nature. The very substance of his being. God is light. I mentioned last time that in this word, God is light, John is making reference to two concepts at the same time. Revelation and purity. It's, it's like the ultimate lyrical punchline with double meaning. <clears throat> but it's interesting. In fact, I heard this. Um, I was reminded of this. Um, earlier last week. Light is an interesting property scientifically. I should say it's an interesting, uh, would you call it an element? What would you call it? What would you call light? It's, it's just an interesting thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah? Light is an interesting thing because normally material falls into two categories. It's either particles or it's waves. Light is particle and it's waves. And scientists are baffled by this. They don't understand it. That it can have the properties of particles whilst also having the properties and characteristics of waves. It's not supposed to be like that. But it is these two things coexisting at once. It's amazing. God is light. He is truth. Revealed. He is truth revealed. Revelation of understanding. God is the, the fullness of understanding. Oh, Lord help me. I need to get this stuff out of my head because it's hard to explain, especially if we don't want to be here all day. But listen. God is truth, and he is the revelation of truth. He's not even just true revelation. 
Because I can reveal to you something that's true, but be holding back something that ain't in my heart. That's called deceit. I give you half the truth. God is truth revealed, revelation. But God is also pure. And I mentioned last time that it's like saying that God is absolutely moral, but God is more than absolutely moral because people's morals change and it would be based on your definition of morality. God is beyond moral, he's holy. He's true to himself. Boy, listen, you're going to have to listen back and actually, because I'm going to keep it moving. God is light. And this statement now kind of sets up a long section through the text, right through into chapter 3, in regards to how John begins to break down practically what this means. God is light. And so in that, he moves on to the issue of the fellowship of the Savior. So the substance of the Savior, the substance of the Savior is that he is light. He is truth revealed. He is holy, pure, 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 pure. And so, in verses 6 to 10, if we say we have fellowship with him, no, that's not the four o'clock one. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'm landing the plane, don't worry. It's not going to catch me here. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so here we see the Apostle John dealing with the issue of truth revealed whilst also dealing with the issue of purity. So if a true work has been done in our hearts, it will be made manifest. It will be revealed. And it will be revealed that practically we're pure. If we say we have fellowship, we share in life with God while we walk in darkness. Now, we began to talk about this at community group. As we go through this letter, another couple key words I want to highlight that will help us. It really helped unlock the book of John for me. We hear this and we get nervous because we do wrong things. Some of us wonder, listen, the extent to which I do wrong things, am I actually walking in darkness? Am I actually deceiving? Am I lying? Am I deceiving myself? Am I not in the light? John, this isn't making me feel very sure. (laughs) The key is in the word walk and in the word practice. So, would you describe... Let me give you a... a, Yeah. I'll put it back, Francis. Let me give you a little bit of an example. If I was to um, ask you, would you describe this as walking? Hmm. Would you describe that as walking? No? Stand, it's, I mean, obviously, right? 
So what is it lacking? It's lacking intention. Whew, oh gosh. It's lacking intention and purpose. Preach with me today. What's it lacking? It's lacking. So it's lacking conviction in purpose and purpose. It's lacking progress. Consistency. Thank you. So think about all of those things when John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk. Because someone who walks in dark, darkness does so with intention. They make progress in it. Imagine, you make progress in darkness, you know. They make progress in it, and they do it with consistency. That's a very different picture to the individual who may take a step in the wrong direction. Someone who may stumble on the way. It's a very different picture. And this was clear to the readers. When he uses the term practice, so I want to be a basketball player, and I play basketball once a month. Would you consider that practice? Elijah's shaking his... I'd be a joker, absolutely. Amen, bruv. That's not practice. When you look at these Olympians, how do they practice? There was a, we used to work in the school up the road, right? And there was a young guy who was a, an Olympic swimmer. And he would train for three or four hours before school. School start at 8.30. Half the school used to get there 9.30. This bread has been swimming for three hours prior to school. And when he leaves school, he's going back in the pool. That's what you call practice. There's a commitment there. There's a consistency there. There's an intentionality there. And so in that, we see, this is what John's talking about when he talks about walking in darkness. Now, if after hearing that description, you still feel nervous, then maybe you ought to. Because what John is saying is, look, if you say you have fellowship with God and are walking in darkness, you're lying to yourself, let alone anyone else. Come on now. Let's, let's just call a spade a spade. Let's just put it in the open so that we know what we're dealing with. Hello, my name is Ephraim, and I'm an alcoholic. Let's move on. Yeah? Just for the sake of the camera, that's not actually true. <laughs> just because I know you don't know me like that. <laughs> we do not practice the truth. So you notice he says, walk in darkness contrasted with practicing the truth. Amen? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have, those who are in the light have fellowship with those who are in the light. Light and darkness are not meant to have no fellowship. That's for community group. Believe me, we're going we're gonna to deal with that one. Those in the light have fellowship with those in the light. Light and darkness are not... We, don't, we might be friends, 
We might be associates, we might keep company, but we're not sharing fellowship. And I think that's one of the ways in which I see uncertainty in the way that some people walk their Christian walk. Because there's this, this misguided notion that me and my unsafe friends are the same. We're not the same. And it's not like I'm trying to be elitist. It's just the reality of what God has done in my life. We're not the same. So I'm not going to love the things they love and do the things they do and think the way they think and endorse when they're doing it. We don't share fellowship. And what it does is, it evidences the fact that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You look at verse 6 and you could read that and get it twisted and think, okay, because I do right, that means that now Jesus is pleased with me and cleanses me. No, it's because of the fact that we are cleansed that we do right. Early church father Augustine said that holiness flows from God. So holiness flows out of salvation, not into it. It flows out of salvation. We are holy because God has saved us, and we are saved by the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. What can wash away my sin? You missed the opportunity there. <laughs> what can make me whole again? Amen. We need to revive some of them old school tunes. And so, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Can I share with you two ways in which we say that we have no sin? One, we say our sin doesn't matter. Remember what I said about the Gnostics? That which you do in the body doesn't matter. You can be immoral, you can do whatever you want because the body's evil anyway. And some of us adopt that mentality. Our sin doesn't matter. I mean, you know, Jesus is, he's forgiven me, so I can just do whatever. That's called licentiousness. And so we see that for those who say we have no sin. Another way in which people say they have no sin, sin's not my fault. I'm a victim. It's because of my circumstances. It's, it's because of my surroundings. It's because of my experience. It's because of the dad that I never had. It's because those employers are racist. It's because that, whatever it is, we hear it all the time, guys on the road selling drugs. Yeah, because you know what, man, I can't get a job out here, you know, because the people that are racist, it's the system. <laughs> so your sin is justified because you're now a victim of the system. Is that right? And even some of us say the same thing. It's not my fault because that sister, if you really knew her, I tell you, you know she's so wicked and bad, man. She's a Jezebel, I'm telling you. <laughs> Let us not say we have no sin. In any situation we find ourselves in, the first port of call is to check ourselves and check our own hearts. Because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. We know this. What does it mean to confess? Confess means to agree with God. 
to openly state agreement with God. Confession isn't, ah, oh, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. And the Lord's like, sorry for what? <laughs> well, if I'm honest, Lord, because I know you know already, I'm just sorry for getting caught. <laughs> or you know them ones, I'm sorry that I have, I, I'm, I'm sorry that it came, it came across as though I offended you. Because I, I, I didn't, well, I didn't mean to in what I said, but I stand by what I said. <laughs> if we confess, we're agreeing with God. You know what, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged, and all I can do is make a plea to you for mercy based on Christ. And whatever the consequences are, I'm prepared to accept them. That's confessing, true confession. It's more than just, I'm sorry. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And very often we stop there. If we've truly confessed our sins, not only will God forgive us, but he will also cleanse us. And so there should be seen some kind of progress as we move on from those sins. Amen? That's cleansing is a process, something that happens over time. And as we submit ourselves in agreement with God, consistently trusting in Christ and his work, there will be change in our hearts and lives. There will be change. And so he will cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I thank God for the ministry of um, Where the Master, Living Waters, Ray Comfort and them guys. Because through their ministry, I, my eyes was really open to something that I never really appreciated. Something that not only empowered me with regards to evangelism, but also really gave me a clearer understanding of the gospel. If you're unfamiliar with who I'm talking about, look them up. Way of the Master. Tremendous evangelistic ministry, evangelistic resources. Not the be-all and end-all, not the only way to do evangelism, but a very strong fundamental way. And at the heart of the, 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 the approach is an understanding that there is no such thing as a good person. And the person who says I'm a good person is saying I have no sin. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the fact that a person can say I'm a good person, I have no sin, actually makes, they're, they're attempting to make God out to be a liar. Not even just in the fact that God communicated that through the psalmist and it was echoed by the Apostle Paul, but more importantly, why did Jesus die? Because if people can be good in themselves, then we should just all learn to be like them. We wouldn't need a saviour. We should just sit down and ask them to teach us the tricks of the trade and we'll be good too. There is none good. No, not one. And this was such an issue that God would cause his son to, to become a man 
and live a sinless life, sinless life, in order that through faith and repentance, we can be forgiven of our sin. And so, fellowship of the Savior is shaped by an acknowledgement of our sin and Christ's righteousness for our salvation. We have a sure Savior who does a sure work in his people. Amen? Shall we stand? Now, as you've heard that, and as ever, God expects a response to his word. And it's important that as we hear the truth of God's word, we're reflective. As I heard um, someone say this week, we need not fall into a place of morbid introspection where we just beat ourselves up and wallow in self-pity because we're so terrible. Actually, we need to look to Christ. And as we're about to close, I encourage you, wherever you're at, whoever you are, to just for a moment consider your walk with God. Do you share fellowship with God? On what basis do you share fellowship with God? Is there fruit born of that sure fellowship through Christ? It starts with a submission to Jesus. That's where it's found. Not an attempt to strive and do better, but just to submit to Jesus that he is our righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for the fact that you are a sure savior and that, Lord, in you we're able to share fellowship with God. That is actually a reality that is beyond our comprehension. And yet, Lord, you've, you've made manifest and revealed to us the truth of that in Christ. And I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and also the hearts of our families and friends and all those, Lord, who are um, within our circle of influence, Lord. Open the eyes to the gospel, Lord, we pray. Lord, we know that you're mighty to save. You're a mighty redeemer. We thank you for your precious blood that cleanses us, cleanses us, Lord, of sin. Have your way in our hearts, Lord, we pray. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.